0: Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kerlin. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalier. Michelle is a canine trainer who I love learning from. Michelle's work is very systematic, which is something that I really like. And she's incredibly creative. Some of you will have met Michelle through the Clicker Expo. She's on the faculty there, and she's given just some great presentations on the platform training that we talked about in the first episode. And she's also shared quite a lot on the teaching of freestyle and that's what we talked about last week. Michelle is also very well known for her work with guide dogs. She worked for Guide Dogs for the Blind and it was through her efforts that their program was transformed from the traditional way of training dogs to training them all with clicker training. And it didn't just work for those dogs. The dogs in that program Excel. So clicker training wasn't just another way of doing it. The data showed that it was a better way of doing it, which is very exciting. So last week we talked about freestyle and Michelle shared with us how to train some of the really spectacular behaviors that she uses in her freestyle performances. And we'd reached a point where I wanted to know, okay, Now that you've taught the behaviors, how do you assemble them into a routine? So that's where we stopped. I made you wait for that answer. And now we're going to pick up again and let Michelle take us through the building of a routine. But but let's suppose that I've now been working with my, my horse, my goat, my dog for a period of time. And I have some really cool behaviors that i have i have taught this individual to back up in a straight line away from me i've taught this animal to go around me on a circle at say a trot and then to change gait into a canter i've taught this animal to come uh to me when i call i've taught uh a bow i'm trying to think of behaviors that that would apply to um, both dogs and horses. And I've taught, I've taught him to walk next to me uh, in heel position and to come around in front. And I'm thinking, this is a nice little repertoire. I would love to put together a little routine. So how do I begin to assemble these individual behaviors into a routine?
1: Okay, so let's take those behaviors that you said, and and correct me if I missed one. So you had he'll heel next to me, he'll uh, bow, yep. He'll come to me, yep. to my front. I'm I'm envisioning. Okay. Uh, he'll go around you. Yep. And he'll back up. Yes. Was that all of them?
0: And and he would go around me, uh, and change gait. So I can ask for trot or
1: canter. Okay, so let's so you you choose if you want two around me's would you call one at a canter and one at a trot?
0: Uh we could.
1: Yep. Okay, so let's let's do that. Let's say we mm-hmm. have we have a round at a canter and we have a round and he'll jump.
0: So he'll also go over things. So I can call okay, out. Okay, he'll
1: jump. jump. Yeah. Okay, you really want to make a long sequence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't necessarily have to use I don't have to use right. them all but I've been building no. a
1: nice repertoire right
0: right so you've got a repertoire and I've and I've got a variety of things so I you know I've got some that are more uh in close and personal and some that are more out of way you know I've got a, a nice repertoire of behavior started not necessarily perfected but I have the beginnings of things
1: okay let's say uh, so you said I don't have them perfected but I have them going pretty well. You certainly before you put two together, I would want to feel like I had them under pretty good cue control. Okay. So they're they're pretty fluent at it. They know it well and now I want to put some together. So let's start so if I, with
0: If I say to the to this this animal, if I say back, for example, I know that that from whatever orientation he happens to be in, uh, that he'll start to back,
1: and, right? Correct.
0: And and if I then uh, if I say it might be go out, that he'll go out around me on a circle. Correct. Okay.
1: So you'd want to feel like the way I do it for myself is would I bet myself a hundred bucks? right that when I say yeah. this he'll do it and okay. if he doesn't do it I just lost 100 bucks so okay. I have to feel pretty secure uh, it doesn't have to be beautiful under stimulus control in all sorts of conditions but basically I know that I feel pretty good about these behaviors so yeah. let's look at our list that we did. so I've got a backup I've got the around me at a canter I've got the around me at a trot I have that they'll jump a jump They come to me, they bow, and they'll heal. So if I say, okay, let me put a little chain of behaviors here. I think I'm going to end with the bow because that'll be like we're ending our performance. I could start with the bow, but yeah, let's go ahead and end with the bow. And then I have to start someplace. So I would say if I enter the performance space, I could enter at my heel and I could actually not actually start at a standstill. I could actually have the music start as I'm actually entering the performance space. So I see healing. Maybe I'm actually healing at a trot. Maybe I'm jogging and the horse is healing next to me. And then as I get to this place in the music, I'm going to let him just flow right into going around me. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Right. So he can flow around me at the trot that he's already at. And then after one circle, I can stand still and ask him to go into a canter, which would be really cool. And then I can back away as he's in front going around and call him to me. So now he's in front of me. And then I can ask him to back up away from me. And when he backs up away from me, I can direct him over a jump. Okay. Because now I've gotten some space to where he has room to jump instead of me having to run next to him to jump so I could have that prop out there. So the first thing is to decide how do I envision the order. And what I want to use is an order that it'll make for very smooth transitions. So that's what I just did by envisioning that he's at a trot. I'm jogging. We're wa- and all I have to do is send him around and he continues that rhythm in the trot. Does that make sense? Yep. Right. So now I haven't had any transition from one to the next. I've been having him heal and then I've cued him to go around me. And all I've done is stopped while he starts trotting around me. I might do one or two circles, who knows? And then I ask him to canter which would be a bigger circle more than likely. And then all I have to do is time my cue for him to come to me when he's out starting to go in front of me so I could back up to give him room to turn and come to the front of me. It might mean I'm backing up at a bit of a jog for a few steps to give him enough room to straighten his body out off of that circle. And then we would have a moment of being still, 1,001, 1,002, so he can at least get his balance changed because he's just come in from a trot. So he's in a halt for a second or two before I ask him to back up. That gives him time to prepare to back up. And then as he's backing up, maybe I'm backing up, which would look really cool. It would look like we're having a gunfight. We're about to have a gunfight, right? So I'm backing up, he's backing up, and I happen to be backing up in a direction that is putting me near this prop and then I can send him over the prop. And after he finishes jumping and coming back to me, he immediately goes into the bow and we just gave a performance. Absolutely. Right. Right. Now, when I put that stuff together, I back chain it. So I'm going to actually start with sending him over the jump to the bow. Okay does that make sense yes yeah yeah so the first thing i'm going to do is i'm just going to set him up maybe on a platform to help him stay there and i'm going to go a distance away cue him over the jump as soon as he lands over the jump he's going to get the cue to come to me and bow and i'm going to do that until it is really smooth meaning him putting those two together is he knows what's coming he goes oh she's gonna even though you're still going to cue him he knows what's coming. So as he lands over the jump, depending upon where I decide I'm going to stand, he's going to come to me, and he knows that when he gets there, I'm going to cue a bow, and it's it's really looking smooth. Maybe during that, putting those two together, I decide that I'm going to be in a position that when he lands, he'll curve to me so the curve of coming back to me actually puts him in a nice position for the bow so i can make those decisions while i put those two together i can say "Ooh, you know what i think i'm going to be past the jump and he actually jumps and comes to me or let him turn and come to me because it slows him down a little bit to prepare him to go into the bow what i can also do during that first piece of the back chain is I can evaluate if those two behaviors are smooth enough for him to do back to back. This is where I let my dogs change the choreography for me. I might have a yes. vision of, I want you to do A and B and they're telling me after a few repetitions, you know what? It's really kind of physically not comfortable for me to go right from <laughs> A to that B. <laughs> yes. So mm. it. this is the time I go, Ugh, that's not going to work. Maybe I'm going to go past the jump, and he's going to run, jump, and just come into me into a halt. And then he'll do a bow. Does that make sense? Or yes. maybe I have to add something before the bow, like he pivots and heel, and then we do a bow. But we'll pretend that that's worked just fine, right? So Because I, I could to see,
0: me. right, but I, I think it's an important point because yeah. we want we want the freestyle we want this to be fun for the horse and doable for the horse and not frustrating for us. And we don't want to be asking for something that is, you know, borderline ethical. You know, should the, should this individual horse really be asked to do this behavior? And certainly for a nice, young, healthy horse, going doing a jump, a small jump, should, would not be a problem. Um, asking a lot of most horses to bow not really a problem. But for some horses, it might be. So we definitely would want to consider that. And I, and you might, I might look at that also and think, you know, maybe not as pretty as I thought it was going to be. So I think what I'd rather do as I look at these things is when I call him back in, and he comes to me and he pauses, and then I have him back away from me, then maybe that's where I'd like to bow. I think that might look really pretty at the end of backing uh, 10 strides, whatever, that he then bows. That could be really cool. And I'll either take the jump out completely because it doesn't really fit with the other things, or I'll put it in somewhere else because there are lots of places where I could put the jump in, like when he's going around the circle, maybe he could go over the jump at that point.
1: Exactly.
2: But it may be also that it's just, it's not so much that one behavior by itself is not possible for the horse, but he may just not be in a position to do it. And there needs to be a little something added, a transition to make sure that he's physically capable of doing it in that moment just after the other behavior.
1: Exactly. So you're always looking at what is the direction of movement is that direction making it difficult for the animal to do the next behavior. And that's Mm -hmm. why you really want to pay attention to any sort of hiccups that are happening when you're putting two behaviors together. And you want to listen to the animal. What also is just smart when you're coming to performance that you may be having like 50 behavior cues in a performance one after the other, you want to make sure that those are easy for the dog or the horse to do. Otherwise you're going to constantly be working on trying to get a better response to those. So I listen really intensely to my animals when I put behaviors together. It's so if the behavior itself on its own is really good And when you try to put it after another behavior, all of a sudden it's not. You want to pay attention to that. It could be the direction of the flow of the body movement is actually acting against the dog or the horse going into that next movement that you had pictured.
0: Yeah. So let's assume that this is a nice, young, athletic horse, and and he has no trouble. He He jumps the jump, comes towards you, does a nice stop in front of you, and then does a beautiful bow. So we have, he's, he's showing us that physically and, and emotionally uh, he can do that. He can handle that.
1: Right. And it should look like it's almost on autopilot. Meaning <laughs> you may be accidentally creating an automatic chain, like a technical chain. And in freestyle, it's rare that I do that. I usually want to be able to cue it because by the animal waiting for my cue means I am in control of what's happening with the music. If we're a little ahead of the music, I might have to delay my cue a little bit because I wanted him to bow when that saxophone did what it did in the music. So I don't want him to just jump the jump, come to me and immediately bow. It could be that there's a behavior in the future that you want to have a two or three behaviors turn into a technical cue. But mostly I want to keep control of the performance, so to speak. So the good news, though, is if I, if I cue him to come and jump and when he reaches me, he automatically starts bowing. I'm actually internally having a party because what does it tell me? He wants to do it and he knows it's going to happen. So yeah. there's usually a place during back chaining that the the animal's going to learn, oh, I have to wait for the cue. That's why you want these behaviors already well trained. So you don't want to detrain what you've already done by starting to connect them that the only time they'll do them is if they do the one before it that you're putting in the chain. So for instance, let's say the horse jumps the jump, doesn't come all the way to you, stops and bows. I'm going to go escort him back to where we cued the jump. No emotions. I'm not upset, right. but there's no reward. We're going to go back and I'm going to do it again. And he's going to hear his recall word again as he lands over the jump. And then he's going to get the bow cue, and after the bow cue, he's going to get clicked and treated. So what he's learning is two things. Yes, I want you to know where we're going, but two, you're going to wait for me to tell you to do it. That's going to give me control of the performance. So I'm expecting a good back chaining session or two. I'm going to see anticipation. I should see it. If I don't, I'm not doing a very good backchaining session because I should see the animal actually wanting to do it on their own. But because your training ahead of time on that behavior has been solid, doing one or two aborts during the backchaining process does not upset the animal. They just go, oh, that's right. She didn't cue it. So I just go reset him and do it. And usually the next time they go, oh, okay. I might have to give him a second recall cue when he first hits the, la- the, the land, uh, lands after the jump to remind him, keep coming. And then I might wait a second or two before I cue the bow. So I know he's really waiting for it. But this is, has not been a problem for me. The anticipation is a good sign that they wanna do it automatically.
0: I'm thinking that everybody who rides. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm thinking that everybody who rides, say dressage tests or uh, raining patterns or what any of these things that have set patterns to them, mm-hmm. is just going light bulb moment, light bulb moment. Because mm-hmm. what are, what is one of the things that people talk about when they're riding things like dressage tests?
1: anticipation. Is he anticipates? Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> and what you just described is 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 how you work both with the anticipation but also train so that it's not a problem. And I can also see that if you want if you have a dressage horse that teaching him even a simple uh, little freestyle routine of three or four behaviors doing it at liberty would be really valuable because he would learn the concept of how, cues work how you can uh, link behaviors together and that it's not about building that technical chain where the horse is going to be uh going into a half pass regardless of what what you're asking him for this is a really good way for somebody who's prepping uh, a dressage horse or a reining horse uh, it's a great exercise to go through
1: And when you think about a dressage test and how repetitive those movements are for the horse to learn that after I, as soon as I head down the diagonal, I'm going to go into my flying changes. I don't need a cue. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So if you think about a dressage test, if I were riding dressage again, I would back chain my dressage test. Yes, So that's how I would actually put a new dressage test together, is I would backchain it. So I would actually start at the end, and I would just keep adding before it. And the horse knows that test by heart, but they also know they're supposed to wait for the cue.
2: (laughs) I think also there's part of it in the beauty of clicker training is that there's no punishment. So you're not, there's anticipation, but there's not the other part, which is, I want to get this over with as soon as possible.
1: Right, but you know, even even in traditional training, uh, I can envision uh, many dressage horses that I've watched through the years. Uh, the anticipation they're doing is just because they know it's coming, and yeah, they, they actually know what's do. It. Yeah, but they just want to do it, and unfortunately, then that's punished, right? So it's like yeah. so the horse starts doing flying changes and he gets punished. So. The, the, the beauty of clicker training is that we have, we, we build the same anticipation out of the joy to do the behavior, but we don't take the joy away. No, you
2: just reset.
1: Right. We just let them understand that they have to wait for the cue to get that joy. Ju- that just actually makes them respond all the better to the cue. Yay, I finally got the cue, right? So I right, think... Right. Uh, the, the the cool thing about Alex's idea there about dressage riders teaching a, sh- a short chain of tricks to teach the horse the concept of waiting for the cue, the beauty of that is the fact that you're teaching yourself the concept of yes. teaching
2: mm-hmm. yes. how to wait
1: for the cue. Yeah. So the the cool exercise which might help a dressage rider go, "Oh, I'm not going to ruin my dressage horse by doing this." <laughs> right, is that you're test, you're doing it with something that you don't have to worry about your dressage instructor yelling at you for doing it, right? It's you, You're introducing the idea of letting anticipation take its natural course, but you're ready for it when it happens, and you know exactly what you're going to do, which isn't punishment. In a way, it is. It is probably scientifically negative punishment that we're aborting, but we're not aborting with any emotion. We're just very calmly resetting the animal for what the... What they just did before they anticipated so that they can learn to wait for the cue so i think it's a really good kind of a challenge for dressage trainers dressage riders who are used to doing the same thing when a horse anticipates this kind of gives you a new thing to play with to see what happens when you communicate in a in a more positive manner about how you have to wait for the cue. And that way you're not ruining the joyfulness and the performance. I don't want my dog waiting for the cue because he's concerned if he waits, if he, if he anticipates, I want Mm. him waiting for the cue because he is so anticipating, give the cue mom, give the cue, give the cue, can't wait for the cue. And then that response to the cue is going to be all the more joyful, just because he had to wait for it. I, I always, I always picture uh, runners at the Olympics or swimmers that are waiting for the gun to go off. Yes. And when they're waiting for the gun to go off, they are so ready to go. They're smart. They're humans. They know exactly what they want to do, and you still see them do what sometimes they jump the gun. They make a mistake. That's right. So I know that that swimmer and that runner didn't try to do anything wrong. He just was so ready to go that he made a mistake. And when my dogs Mm. anticipate, that's what I picture. I picture the runner or the swimmer jumping the gun. I'm not upset. I'm just like, oh, well, let's reset and try again. Because they're not purposely trying to cause a problem. They're just trying to do a behavior. And trying to do a behavior is something I don't want to ever squash.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Now, if you saw, if they, if they, if you reset and it occurred again and you reset, at what point would you go have a cup of tea and think about what you needed to do differently? Uh,
1: If it happened again, right away on this i would probably stop right then and think to myself huh what's going on here and what can i do usually you can help the dog through it by giving a cue adding an extra cue like when he lands over the jump instead of just thinking well he's going to come to me adding the recall cue and because that way you're going to find out where the real weakness is so you thought you thought your recall cue was really good, right? <laughs> right, right. So you, you call him when he lands over the jump and he still goes into the bow. Well, there's all your information you need. My recall yes. cue needs work. So now I stop back chaining, I stop chaining, and I work on my recall cue separately. So I reestablish, strengthen my recall cue. And when I've got that going again, I... I get the, the horse or the dog. I get him thinking about the recall cue. Now, ooh, I'm really excited about my recall cue. Now I go back, put him in that spot, let him do the jump, give him the recall cue, and I should see a lot better response. And that way I've got the dead space I want before I give the bow cue. So it. I don't want, three in a row would be like three strikes I'm out. I, I should not have tried it a third time without trying to investigate why the same thing happened right away again. Good. Because again, remember, we started this exercise by saying these are good behaviors on cue. Yes. Yeah. Yes,
0: absolutely. And and then we also discovered that we thought was a two behavior chain is actually a three behavior chain.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Because when we put behaviors like this together, right? We kind of sometimes assume things. So what we assumed was when he comes over the jump, when he gets to me, he's going to bow, right? We just assume that, that he's going to, well, of course we're going to add a cue that reminds him as he goes over the jump to come to you. If you weren't in a straight line with his travel from the jump, you probably would think more about doing that. So if you were off to the side, you probably would think about calling him. But people do that when they put chains together. They'll forget that there's an an in-between behavior actually happening is theoretically, if you told him to jump and he jumps, he really would have the right after the jump to just stop and stand there and look at you and say, what's next? But because he has momentum over the jump it's probably going to carry him through to come to you but you say to yourself especially after a mistake like that you would say i guess i better give him his recall cue when he lands over the jump because he just finished what i cued him to do so i should have my next cue well timed so he can just flow right to me
0: yeah so he doesn't have to guess and fill in
1: exactly you're you're making things very clear yeah
0: the answer is always obvious to the one who knows it.
1: It's a line that I've always liked. Exactly. Yeah, I like so that.
0: So now I have, I have this nice little unit that's working really well for me. Then what do I do?
1: Then I'm going to add the one in front of the jump queue, which is backing up to a certain point. So what what we had him do right before we cue the jump was to back away. That was our plan, Yes. right? So when we did the, the jump to the bow that had that little recall in between them, when we did that, we just are putting him in the location, had the distance location we want him before we cue the jump. So the next step is to cue the backup. Now, here's a really good example of what I do when I, Put a chain together. Let's assume that our goal backup is going to be really long. I want him to back up 50 feet because he's really good and it's a cool looking behavior. When I put the chain together in a back chain sequence session, I'm not going to have him do 50 feet. I'm only going to ask for enough backup to have him experiencing responding to the cue for backup, and then I'm going to cue the jump. I don't need to have him do excessive amount of behavior when I put the chain together. What I do need to pay attention to, though, because it's going to be a long 50-foot backup, is that on one rep, maybe I'll have him back up four steps On the next rep, maybe six, then maybe five, then maybe seven before I cue the jump. I don't want to create that after just a couple of steps of backup, he's ready to do the jump. I can avoid that by saying, I don't want to make him back up 50 feet for every rep, but I can at least make him back up variably. So he is doing what? He's listening for when do I actually cue the cue to go ahead and jump. We also might discover that we want to add a transition in there. The transition would be a cue to stop backing and wait for the cue to jump. That could be something that you decide, oh, you know what, come to think of it, I think I'm going to actually cue him to stop and then I'll cue the jump. And that's like what we discovered on the recall one after he lands over the jump. We said, well, how do I make this smooth? If he's expecting me to cue to stop, that might actually prevent him from trying to come and jump while he's backing. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So the the next step is just to add the behavior before, but it doesn't mean that you might not add a little transition. That would be a nice transition was I'm cueing back, 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 whoa. And then I cue the jump. So now when he does the jump, And he comes in, I say come, I say bow, and he gets clicked and rewarded. So in the back chain, he's only going to get clicked and rewarded for that last behavior. So that bow is going to be getting a lot of click reward as we add these other behaviors in front of it. But as we do it backwards like this, he actually is really going to be feeling confident about where he's going. So that's why you're going to see the anticipation because he knows as soon as we cue jump, when we added the backup, as soon as we cue jump, guess what he's going to do? I know what I'm doing. I'm going to jump. She's going to call me and I'm going to bow. So it isn't like it's taxing on him. If we did it normal forward chaining and keep adding something onto the, oh, now I want you to do one more behavior and now one more. That's where you get hesitation because you're adding more work. This is, I know right where I'm going. I'm only adding one thing right before he's done several reps of that one little back chain. He knows right where he's going. So I'm just really adding back up, whoa, and now you get to do the thing that you actually know really well already.
0: Yeah, and it has such a deep history of reinforcement behind it.
2: Exactly. Could you still rehearse inside the chain, that, or you would always go all the way to the end? Let's say if, uh, you have a one-minute or two-minute performance, and you've done all this back-chaining, but at this point you want to rehearse the middle of the chain.
1: Yes. Once you've back-chained a sequence, so I usually, when I divide... My freestyle routines at a championship level, they are anywhere from 60 to 90 behavior cues. Okay. I do not backchain that whole routine. I divide it up into small sections of about six behaviors, six or seven. And I do. that's how I introduce that section of how we're going to go forward by backchaining. Once I've backchained that section and it's really smooth, I don't backchain anymore. And from that point on, I will pick any little section of behaviors I want to work on. I will work on them just like in performance moving forward. So it could be that his backup has gotten kind of slow. It hasn't gotten as fun as it used to be. So I notice that and I do a session of queuing backup. And a lot of reward for queuing the backup. So I might click and reward him for a few steps back. Once I finish that back chain, I no longer am only working with that group of behaviors and only giving the reward for that last behavior in that chain. I am surprising. I might pull out one behavior and work on it intensively, or I might pick a chain that wasn't even... A back chain. It was like a piece of two different back chains that butt up against each other. From that point on, I'm going forward. The only time I would return to back chaining would be if I'm having a problem with a sequence. I might do some back chaining of a small section to try to get it more fluent. Or I say to myself, oh, my animal's telling me something. <laughs> he doesn't like this chain. I need to alter it. But once you actually do a good job of back chaining, I usually am only doing two or three sessions to put a back chain together. And usually it's around five to seven behaviors. I don't like to go much more than six or seven behaviors because it makes the session too long because you're going Mm -hmm. to actually repeat it quite a bit. And I don't want to give the, the animal a whole bunch of work before they get to that click reward. I'm also teaching them duration performance in doing this does that make sense i'm teaching them keep going because you're going to get to a reward so i'm if 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 i have been the kind of trainer that gets overly zealous about giving reinforcement all the time i could have trained my animal to expect it for every single thing i do And back chaining is a great process of introducing to an animal that's used to getting something every time they do something. It's a great way to motivate them to want to do several behaviors in a row to get to that reward. That's a good point. Yes. It's a really good tool. I have so many people I run into in dog training for sports that they're so about the positive reinforcement training that they have gotten their animal in the habit of putting their little paw out every time they do a behavior because, yeah, it's like, hey, give it to me, I did it. So back chaining is the perfect way to introduce to that animal. Otherwise, they get very frustrated because they're in the habit of getting something every time I say, spin, you spin, here's your treat. So what we do is we start with two behaviors and we get the dog understanding, take the second cue and you're going to get to that reward. And by adding more and more behaviors to that chain by back chaining, we're going to give that animal confidence that they can take several cues in a row without thinking they need to get something right away. That's very, very helpful. Yeah,
0: It, It really helps with that whole glass ceiling You know, that that we can so inadvertently build into it. And and I do want to add, because I can see somebody thinking uh, that, oh, it sounds like all the cues are verbal. You know, we say back, we say come, you know, whatever. But a lot of these cues are not going to be verbal, particularly if you're sending a dog 50 feet away and then you're asking for the next behavior and there's music playing Your dog might not be able to hear what you say, but you have a lot of cues that are nonverbal.
1: Very much so. They're called choreography cues. Yes. And because we are doing our part in a performance during the back chaining process, I want to work out what I'm going to be doing because during this back chaining process is when I want them for sure to be seeing what I'm going to be doing. That is also going to turn into a visual cue. So in in, in Listo's last uh, routine, to lay miserables, do you hear the people sing? We had a sequence where he backs all the way across a 60 foot ring on the diagonal. Wow. And, of course, it would have taken away from the performance if you could hear Michelle going, back, back, back. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So the, the sequence is a dramatic moment in the music where I collapse to the floor like I've been shot. And I'm on, I collapse to the floor on my side and I've got the red flag with me and everything and that was his cue to start backing. Now, how did I keep him backing? And then how did I cue him to come back to me? It was actually the easiest choreography cue I ever trained, although it wasn't an easy behavior for him to do. He knew as long as Michelle is still laying on the floor, keep backing. Backing. And my, my cue for him to come back to me was when I started to get up. So it was really fun watching him because he would back up in these little stutter steps and he would look at me and then he'd back up and he'd look at me and he'd back up and he'd look at me. He's Everyone thought it was this dramatic thing he was doing, <laughs> but what he was really doing was going, damn, she hasn't gotten up yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got so excited about that sequence that he would talk. So he'd be going, Uh, uh, (laughs) uh. so we added that to the whole backup sequence which just blew everyone away because it was this dramatic moment in the music where i supposedly have gotten hit by gunfire but all i had to do was have the ability to see him and if he was in one of the moments where he hesitated to look at me i would never start getting up because (laughs) what would that have done what would that have done to his backup? Yeah. see so to him he had to keep backing up to get me up so I always had to pick a moment when he was actively backing to start Mm -hmm. getting up so it was actually kind of fun for me in the ring to feel so in control of this animal by just watching for picking a moment when he was actively backing to start getting up because of course he wanted to come back to his mom and then he came trotting Back in for the rest of the routine, really good example of two choreography cues that were extremely strong, and everyone's going, "How did you give?" It's so funny. They go, "What you were giving no cues? How did he know what to do?" I said, "Man, he had re- he had really strong cues, really strong cues." Yeah.
2: So I have a question about uh, the human part of
0: this. But before we because Before we ask that yeah. question, because okay. it's relevant to this, if somebody hasn't okay. seen that performance, Michelle, where could they find it to go watch?
1: Uh, you know, you I, I think think i have it on youtube i would look right now and double check but i don't want to use up my bandwidth <laughs> so, right, right, uh, right. I, I will check and then if it isn't on youtube i will put it on youtube okay and then wonderful. i will give you get the link to you so okay. yeah it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool uh series of uh, and of course when you know that those are my cues it's really fun to watch, more fun I, to watch. I, I think he's in frame it's, it's such a big distance, I don't know if the camera got both of us in frame when I start getting up. But you'll be able to look from his his reaction, you'll know when I start getting up. Yeah, so it's really fun. Yeah. So uh, I, I'll be sure to get that on YouTube if it's not on YouTube. Oh, perfect, perfect. So
0: sorry, Dominique, to interrupt, but I'm, yeah, I'm sure. afraid I So the human part of this, I mean,
2: freestyle is, for me, very attractive because it's very creative. But at the same time, uh, not all of us are dancers. And, you know, you look at some of those routines, and some of those humans are dancers, ballerinas even. Um, But for people who don't feel so graceful...
1: You mean um, like me? (laughs) I'm not not a dancer, yeah. But
2: it's intimidating in a way, you know, to think, Ooh, what am I going to do? You know, it's one thing to think about your graceful horse, but then you think, I'm not a dancer. What what am I going to do? What do you say to those people who want to do freestyle, but they feel that they may not be graceful enough or artistic enough to be out there with their horse?
1: I think that the cool thing about the sport of freestyle is that anything goes. That's what the word is. Anything goes. Freestyle. The thing is, is you have two styles, common styles. One style is somebody is dancy, and some of them almost look like professional dancers. There's a few actual professional dancers that do freestyle. Uh, that, mm. I was very intimidated by that when I first saw the sport, and I didn't think, there's no way I can do that. But when I f- saw the first skit done, see, I'm a skit. I'm a storyteller and when I saw the first skit done I went oh my gosh I can do that so as long as you can be comfortable just moving to the music a bit so most everyone no matter how bad they think they are they probably have on their own in their own house had the music up loud and moved around to it and had fun they probably can do freestyle the main thing is that If you're telling a story or you're a character, which is my favorite thing to do is be a character, because I'm more brave about performing Mm -hmm. when I'm not being Michelle Pouliot, when I'm being a character. So Mm -hmm. I get to be an actor. I think I'm a frustrated actress. Uh, So. I, I get to just act out the story. And if you do that and you find something that speaks to you, when you're picking music that speaks to you personally, you probably can find a way to move to it that makes sense to you. But if you think that, if I do freestyle, I have to like choreograph these dance steps. No, you don't. Basically, mm-hmm. you're performing to music and you're either interpreting it, the music, or... And you can interpret it without dancing. You're just moving the way you might move in your bedroom to music, right? But you also can interpret the music and and be kind of telling a story about it. So there are several routines that I do that if you watch me, I'm not dancing. I'm just moving to the music. And I think that people shouldn't feel intimidated because understand the audience's eye is watching the animal much more yeah. than they're watching you so the the yeah. audience's eye which, is which is always, how it should be exactly and that's what we mm-hmm. we should be doing we should be having our animal draw the attention by the cool behaviors they're doing and how cool they look yeah. so even though you might yeah. be right next next to that animal they're still focused on the animal so The the main thing to understand is that do you need to kind of move to the music? Yeah. You know, you need to kind of feel like you've got a little bit of the beat of the music, but maybe mostly what you're doing is walking in time to the music, and you're letting your animal do the rest of it.
0: (laughs) And we talk about dancing with our horses all the time, that when you're working, whether it's liberty or in hand, and you're you're working uh, beside a horse – it is a dance. I'm not a dancer either but I feel I feel as though I'm dancing with my horses and when they're beautifully balanced I feel as though I'm dancing with Fred Astaire.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a good way to
2: look at it. Well, Alex, you've certainly made rope handling much more graceful than yes. <laughs> what most people study or learn. You yes. make it like a make it look like a dance. That's very true. Very, It's very soft and very, um, there's no abruptness in it. So it's certainly a start.
1: Another thing to consider on this topic of feeling a little uncomfortable about, you know, performing is that uh, in the dog freestyle world, uh, the sport itself allows for competitions that are video. You're not at a live performance. So if, if, if people in the uh, equestrian world got together with freestyle, even competitions or just demonstrations, you understand that that's less stressful on somebody maybe to on their own home turf do a performance on video, Uh, and and that kind of takes some of that nerves off. I personally love a live audience because I love the reaction I get while I'm performing. That actually makes me feel good, right, about my animal that I'm trying. I'm trying to show my animal off is what I'm trying to do, but there are a lot of people that are kind of shy about being in front of a live audience, and the cool thing, which is really conducive to the equine world, would be to have video competitions because it's kind of hard to find a place to hold you know a competition of uh, the size of arena you need and you need r- room for the audience and things like that so that's something to take and consider too is that even if you just did freestyle for your own thing to do and then you video it and you show it off on the internet that's a cool thing the the thing that I have come away from being in freestyle with is That I never thought about when I started was now that I've lost a couple dogs because I've been in freestyle since 2006 Mm. and I've lost a couple dogs. And you know what? Mm. To go back and look at those routines is incredible because it's art that we created. We created art together. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody else went into that music and did the same routine. So in all mm-hmm. other dog sports, everyone's doing the same thing, right? They go in the ring and they're competing against each other, doing the same thing. Well, in freestyle, mm-hmm. you might have people back to back. It's actually happened to me once using the same music, but their routines are totally different, right? right. It's interpreted totally different to, to be able to have those memories of what those mm-hmm. dogs and I created is really yeah heartfelt. It's like better than any video of you. Like, you know, I've done, I did obedience for many, many years and I was at national competitions. I have video of it. I never watch it. But do I watch mm-hmm. freestyle routines? Yes, I do. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you, you actually created something that evoked emotions in people. It wasn't just about watching a competition that people were looking at what you do. Oh, well, the dog was a little crooked there or the horse didn't do his flying lead change and that sort of thing. You're you're actually creating something that is entertaining people. And uh, that's my my goal. Well, you know, when when
2: I start looking at freestyle routines on the internet, I have to be careful because I can spend so much time
1: (laughs) I, I like know
2: it's, it. so, it's, it's fun. so entertaining everybody everybody's different I don't think I could watch a whole evening of obedience but freestyle oh I have to stop
1: myself and go to bed <laughs> yeah Yep. Yeah. 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 yep exactly I agree totally yeah
0: so hmm. the 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 challenge is there for all of us who have who have horses and goats and dogs to um you know the dogs are uh are way ahead of us in this regard, but yeah. to begin to create small routines. And you start small. You know, we just yep. described... start uh, small. You start small. You start with... Uh, you look at the repertoire that you already have with your individual animal. You think about, you know, what would be a really cool behavior or two to add to it? How would I train it? And we're all, you know, we're, we're still... Uh, yes, the economy is opening up uh, as we're recording this, but a lot of people are still home more than otherwise. So we have time to train. We should go train and create
1: some Exactly. Some, some, you know, just uh, what can inspire you is to pick music that you really like, you really like this music and you think it kind of fits your horse's personality and your personality, and then just pick a section of it, a really small section of it. It could be a a chorus or the end of the song and just try to put something together and just make a a 30-second performance.
0: Yep, you know, it can be at the walk. So if you haven't reached the stage Mm -hmm. yet where you're you're, uh, working at the trot and the canter and the groundwork, that's all right. The walk is the mother of all good things.
1: So as soon as you just said a walk, you see my head went right to the music of Baby Elephant Walk. Good music for a horse walk. Which one? Which one is this? That's from the the movie Hatari with John Wayne. They have uh, the uh, music in there by I think it was Henry Mancini called the Baby okay. Elephant Walk, and it, it's got some great music in there for a horse's walk. Okay,
0: so now I can Let's see everybody that. looking that up, which would be really <laughs> fun, and we'll see. It, but then, but that would be fine because everyone will have a different. They'll create something different with it.
2: In in your course, in your course, you had this uh, in your freestyle course, your online course. You have this. This section that I found really interesting where you say to people, you know, video your, your, at your dog in this case because um, it's, it was about dogs. And then at home, play music to the video and see if it works with the pace of your dog because you have small dog, big dogs, they don't have the same kind of uh, uh, walk gait and i thought that was interesting because you give a few examples and some of the music worked better than other music on this particular animal's walking steps yes so that not not all music are
1: equal and it's a completely different feel Exactly, and you know, the the advantage to getting some nice video of just your horse's normal walk, normal trot, normal canter, and you have about a minute of video, and you turn the sound off, you don't need the sound, you go on YouTube, and you look at a whole bunch of different music, and you watch the video while you're playing different music, and Mm -hmm. you'll notice when you hit one that's like, oh my gosh, his gait looks wonderful to that music, and you really do want Want to have, I think, even more so with horses because you have this longer body with long legs and they've got a more obvious rhythm, I think, even than dogs. So I think it's really important to pick music that you can watch your horse move and you just say to yourself, That's almost magical, that looks really cool. Because that's going to make you enjoy putting this stuff together more than it would be if you go, well, I like this music anyway, even though he doesn't look very good in it, you know. So mm-hmm. picking the right music is twofold. One for the animal, how it looks when the animal moves, which with your horse, you're going to be showing off movement when you're doing Horse freestyle, for sure. Even if you're telling a story, you're going to want to be showing off their whatever movement they have. And secondly, make sure you like the music too, because you're going to hear it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and you want to continue to like it at the end of this process.
1: Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so we've covered an enormous amount of ground. And before you say to us, I've run out of steam and I have to go take care of my, my dogs, my horses.
1: Um, we're, we're close to that right now. My old girl's looking at me here. <laughs> okay. Well, well, very, very
0: quickly then, and in, unless we really should stop. This whole – so going back to the transformation of guide dogs from the traditional to uh, clicker-trained – uh, where the training is all done with, with positive reinforcement and the, some of the things that you learn from that experience that are are things that we need to be thinking about as we are uh, in this time of, of real transition that we're living through. What are some of the lessons that we need to be sending out there?
1: I think the the biggest lesson I learned in the process was being more sensitive and supportive to individuals who actually were totally buying into the idea of changing. So let me give you an example. So I was dealing with very experienced guide dog trainers that trained traditionally for a long time. So people that had careers as long as 15 years and up, even a little. So they were very confident in those, uh, the, the training they did and the ability. But they were also very open to change and they were very excited about the clicker training. So I think that as we progressed and I was rolling out the new ways to do training on individual behaviors, I became less sensitive because this group was so ready to change, that they were feeling as though what they had done in the past was being judged. And one day, one uh, of the younger than me trainer, but he was highly experienced, I was talking about the old way of doing something. And how we were going to now do it this way. And how much kinder and gentler it was. Da, 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 da. Okay. And he stopped, looked at me and said, well, well, we, we were doing a good job. We've been doing a good job on that. And I felt so awful wow. that I had tapped into something very sensitive to him. That changing from traditional to positive now he was being made to feel he had been mean to dogs and for years he'd been doing techniques that he'd been taught how to do and done them well in no way did i want to make him feel that he was a bad guy and and so I was used to that with people that overtly were against change. So when I would run into a guide dog instructor that went, oh, it's fine. We've been doing it for years. You know, it's safe. We know what we're doing. I could deal with them. But what I hadn't realized was I was taking for granted that because this certain group of people were so open to change and willing to get better, I assumed that they weren't having difficulty with it, but they were. What they were having difficulty with was the fact that they realized how much nicer and kinder and more wonderful clicker training was to the animals. And a part of them was feeling guilty like they had done something wrong before. And in fact, they did nothing wrong. They took direction is what they took. Yes. And, and and so that is probably the key thing i really quickly paid attention to that was probably around 2005 when i had that revelation and we had already been rolling stuff out started to roll stuff out for the year prior to when i had this light bulb moment i and i pulled him aside after this meeting and apologized i said you know, I'm as guilty as anyone. If we're going to be guilty, look at me. I'm the one that's got 20-something years experience already. Uh, and I said, God, you know, I, I don't want you to feel like we're saying that we were bad people because we weren't bad people. And I think it applies very much to what's happening right now. Uh, yes. As far as understanding that it's, it's okay to look back and realize you were wrong, meaning that there's a better way. But we just knew what we knew. That's the bottom line. And we got done what we were supposed to get done. It worked for us at the time. And to understand that by realizing there's a better way, and change is going to help the whole world. And in guide dog work, it was helping the world of guide dogs working for blind people we have to put that aside and just look at it as experience that we actually can grow from knowing that that was then and we learned from it and this is now no different than i'm a better clicker trainer now than i was in 2007 when we were converting our staff over i'm a lot better clicker trainer it doesn't mean That in 2007, I was a bad clicker trainer. I just knew what I knew. And if I'm good about progressing me as a person, I'm going to be able to take in good stuff and change for the better. And if I practice that in my daily life, I'm going to help other people practice it too by demonstrating that. So I think that was a surprise revelation I had because I thought my big battle was always going to be the people that were openly against change.
0: Yeah, that's so relevant on so many counts. It's, I'm sure it's, it's really true for many people listen, who will be listening to this in terms of their own, because uh, I know in clinics and so on, we we'll often have people who are just overcome with guilt Oh if only i had known about clicker training when i had you know my my most my first horse my beloved horse whatever they're overcome with guilt this is how we were trained it's how we were taught this is this is what we knew it's what we did and as we learned other better different techniques we embraced them and we got better i'm having a really interesting experience right now i'm revising i'm i'm actually converting the uh, lesson one DVD to streaming, which I'm sure people will be going, yay, finally. Um, but in the process of that, I'm updating it or I'm adding to it. So I'm looking at video that was shot 20 years ago, and I'm going through it. I'm it's almost like I'm coaching myself. Now, you see how uh, I was feeding with the right hand when I should have been feeding with the left hand? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just a fascinating experience, but I would hope, I would hope that in 20 years that I would be better, you know, that my technique would have improved and that over 20 years time that we've added details and we to things that worked just fine when we first started, but we've gotten better. We've gotten better. And it's that openness to getting better. So I think on that level, this will really resonate. And then absolutely, uh, for uh, what we're going through uh, right now in terms of the policing and the changes that need to be made, and and what each of us, the role that each of us can play in, I think helping helping us transition and learn and coexist is really important you said it much more much more eloquently than i did so thank you it's excellent
1: uh, you are welcome i i thank god i discovered clicker training but i also thank god that i opened my mind a bit over the years to realize that I should be getting better every year. (laughs) So there are new things, there are new things to learn and to get better at. And I am having so much fun finding those light bulb moments uh, as I continue my journey in this wonderful scientific way of training with positive reinforcement. Yes.
0: And now before your, your old dog says, mom, I need you. Um, so if people want to learn more about your work, where do they find you?
1: Uh, Michellepoliat.com is my website. And that should give them pretty much anything they would want to know about me. It's got a log- large biography there. And uh, also my DVDs are available there. They're also available on Vimeo purchased on video, the new ones, not the old ones. Um, uh, so there, there's plenty there. If they want to go to YouTube and see some routines, I would just suggest plugging in Michelle Pouliot. But if you add the word of my previous Australian shepherd, Listo, L-I-S-T-O, if you put Michelle and Listo in, you will definitely find my routines. Um, and I will check on the Les Miserables routine to make sure it's there. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Well, this has been phenomenal. This has been a great, great conversation. What and a treat! Yes, total treat. And that's uh, th- been a pleasure. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. And hopefully, you'll come back again and, and share more with us because we just scratched the surface.
1: Well, yeah, we didn't even get to your list. So.
0: <laughs> yes, we did. yes, we did. Did we, we get everything? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, we, yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah. I, was, so we, I was just so looking at my scribble. You're right. Yeah. We actually did touch on everything. Yeah.
0: yeah. But there, it was really just the frost on the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> and in the meantime, <laughs> we will say thank you well, immensely. thank you
1: so much. Yes.
0: Oh, yeah. you are welcome. Michelle has described so beautifully for us how she constructs a freestyle program. I hope some of you will give it a try. And if you want to watch the program she described with her dog Listo, it is available on YouTube. We'll include the link in the show notes. Or you can just do a search in YouTube for Listo and Michelle, Do You Hear the People Sing? Hopefully, it will inspire you to create your own freestyle performance. And while you're on the internet, do please check out my new Stay at Home, Learning Together, Internet Clinics. There are two coming up in July. The clinic that's on the weekend of July 18 through 19 is going to be a really interesting one to teach. It's going to be on rope handling. And I'm really looking forward to that because initially it seemed like quite a challenge to be presenting rope handling via the Internet. But in the podcast, Dominique commented that my rope handling looks like a dance. And what we're going to be doing is through the weekend is exploring what that means and how you get there. So you'll need a halter, a lead rope, and a yoga mat or something equivalent, plus a decent internet connection. But you'll have to join us to find out what we're going to be doing with those three things. I'm really looking forward to teaching this clinic. I've been working on assembling the program for it and I think it's really going to work. In fact I think it may be turn out to be just a phenomenal way to teach the rope handling. So that's July 18 and 19 and then I added two clinics in August. These are for all of you who are on the other side of the Atlantic. You'll be delighted to hear that I'll be switching time zones. So we're going to be starting five hours ahead of my local time zone. So that's going to be perfect for those of you who are in the UK. I hope you'll you'll join me for one of these clinics. Space is very limited. I deliberately designed these so that the group size is small, so that everyone can participate. So, again, the space is limited. So, if you want to learn more about these clinics, just go to the events section in my website, theclickercenter.com. I put up a lot of material about how they work, and you'll also find the information on how to register. And remember, as well, that you can still register for our Listen and Learn audio course. That's at the equiocity.com website. We've just had some wonderful, wonderful feedback on the course. I could not be more delighted, more pleased at the comments that we're getting. So that's another really good resource. So lots of things to look at to check out on the Internet. You can go to michellepouliot.com for all of Michelle's resources. Go to theclickercenter.com to learn more about my stay-at-home Learning Together, Internet Clinics, and Equiosity.com to learn more about the Listen and Learn audio course. So, I think that's all the announcements for this week. Thank you very much for listening, and next time we'll begin a new conversation. So, stay well, everyone.